0: Let you know offense is a choice. You can choose to be offended. If you're playing Candy Crush during the sermon, it's on you. Okay? This is the progression of teaching during this series. Week one, they brought the platform thing out for me. Week two, I brought it out for Pastor Barbie. Week three, I'll just bring it out for myself. So, Trending. You can tell we're coming to close this series out when they're like, just, just take it. Just go, bud. Okay. Uh, I just want to go ahead and start off by calling my wife to the stage to cuddle, snuggle. She's going to get this. I'm going to go ahead and start mine off. We're not interjecting that. She's not here. Okay, great. So we'll save that for the evening service. If you want to come back, there will be some cuddle time to start off our <laughs> Sermon series. If Pastor Barbie can cuddle her husband during the sermon, why can I? She has set the precedence for me to be able to do that, right? No, that's not the case, right? You do you know, you just get to do what everything Pastor Barbie gets to do, right? Oh, here's your mini-sermon. Okay, you ready for this, right? We want the blessing that somebody else has, but we don't know what they had to walk through to get there. We want the blessings of a 20-year marriage, and we've only been newlyweds for 24 months. Sometimes you got to walk it out a little bit longer, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know the struggle somebody had to go through for the fruit that they have in their life. Now, so don't compare your life and situations and calling to what somebody else got's going on, okay? Because you don't know what God walked them through to get there. Amen. Good day. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing, okay? <laughs> there we go. Um, we are in our final week of our series, Healthy Church. We've spent several weeks kind of journeying through, uh, looking at what makes up a healthy church. Uh, week one, Pastor Kevin laid out the kind of the mission and the vision, the framework for this series. He also uh, gave us some insight into where God has kind of given us this mantra here at Springhouse, and that's love big live truth, I mean, I know. I was just seeing if that was a pop quiz and nobody came along with me. So remember, say it, keep saying it. Love big, live truth, healthy family. Remember the story, don't be dumb, Justin. Just keep telling yourself, love big, live truth, healthy family. Uh, Then last week, which was... uh, No, two weeks ago, week two, we began to unpack the book or the letter to Titus and examine the qualifications for elders and leaders of the church. And then we looked at how godly leaders are vital for a church because they give us examples to live by. And then last week, Pastor Barbie unpacked this even further in chapter two, and we saw the connection generationally, and we looked at practical grace, right? It was such a sweet time having uh, people pray over us that are a little bit further along. I was able to come down and have my father pray over me. Um, And that was special for me to be able to go to my dad and say, Dad, would you give me a blessing? And there's something very impactful about connecting generations in that way, passing on that wisdom and us being humble enough to say, I don't have it figured out. Even if you're one of the ones down here praying, we don't have it all figured out. And then today, we're going to finish this letter to Titus and see Paul's final thoughts concerning a healthy church. So if you would, if you're able, please stand with me. We're going to read a few verses. This is Titus chapter three, and we're going to be reading verses one through seven. Okay, here we go. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another." But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us." Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word brings life. I pray that my words would be your words this morning, and you would open our hearts to an encounter with you, that you would speak to us, and that we would be listening and obedient and ready to respond to what you have for us this morning. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Paul is probably the king of the run-on sentence, there were so many times you was like, yeah, there should be a period right there. Nope, it's a comma. Keep going. And then you're just reading and reading. But you have to unpack the entire thought, just like this is, uh, this is an entire letter. And Paul begins this, let, this section of the letter by reminding Titus to remind the people to act right reminding Titus to remind the people to act right, and he lays out several examples. Now, I want you guys to know that this is not an exhaustive list. So if there are things that were not included in that first portion, I don't want you to get the idea of, well, that doesn't really count. That doesn't really matter because they didn't specifically list that, right? This is a, an overarching um, concept that Paul is trying to, to uh, give to Titus. And he starts off with a few things. He says, one, the first one, submit to authority, okay? Newsflash, the rules apply to you, even the dumb ones, even the ones from like, well, this is stupid. Why do we have to do this, okay? I told you guys I went to a one-year discipleship program for men with life-controlling problems. Uh, If you need that translated, that is a rehab, okay? Um, I like to church it up, okay, but I've grown since then. And I am personally responsible for 72% of the rules that they have in that program that are dumb. Like, why can't I take my shirt off in the parking lot? Because Justin took his shirt off in the parking lot of the workplace he was at, right? Why can't we do this? Why can't we go there? I'm personally responsible for that. There are some, there are some rules that we have as a society, and even here at Springhouse, that you are not the cause of, but somebody else cause. If you want to know why you can't eat a sausage biscuit in the ministry center, it's because there's one person that doesn't know how to eat a sausage biscuit right. And so we would throw blanket rules out and say, look, guys, bring your coffee. Please put a lid on that. But leave your bagels and croutons, all the things out there in the cafe. We got tables set up for that, okay? But just because you don't agree with a rule or you're not responsible for making the rule, that does not mean the rules don't apply to you or me, okay? Even the dumb ones. Have you ever seen how... There's like warning labels on things, and you think, well, everybody should know that. And it's like a picture of a hand mangled up inside of a pulley, and you're like, who would do that? <laughs> Have you ever looked at those labels, and it's like a stick guy, and he's bent in half, and his leg is stuck in something. You're like, how does that even happen? Because there was that one guy that was like, I wonder if I could slide it in real quick, like Bruce Lee. and get You know what I'm talking about, right? Some, some guy was like, can I just get in there and get out real quick? And his hand got mangled up, and they took a, a picture of it and, and made a label and said, please don't be stupid, okay? There are rules, okay? And when someone is in authority over you, right, someone is in authority over you, and they give you a rule, it's not our, not our job to question, well, this doesn't make sense, or I don't understand it. It's not for you to always understand. You know there are things in the Bible, and the kingdom, I have no clue about, and I just say, yes, Lord, you'll work it out one day you are working. I don't need to know. My kids don't need to know all the reasons why I tell them not to do things. I don't have to break it all down for them. And we've got to stop being so pious to think we need everything broken down for them. God, I need you to tell me exactly what I need to do and why I need to do it. Right. Submit to authority. Then he says, be obedient. This is actually one B. If you didn't get submit to authority, he said, okay, be obedient. There you go. Now we get that. Then he says, be ready for good works. Now, I'm not talking about Walmart ready. I'm talking about Sunday morning ready. Because you know what Walmart ready is. You don't even have to be ready. You could just wake up wherever you're at. You could camp for three days and be like, oh, we need to go to Walmart. What do you got? It doesn't matter. We're going to Walmart, right? But if I said, hey, we're going to church tomorrow. It's your first time. It's a new place. We're out of town on vacation. You're probably going to try to get a little bit more kept, Right? When he says be ready for good works, it's to actually put on, be ready, like to gear up, to get ready for, okay, to anticipate an opportunity to do something cool for the kingdom. I wish that we would wake up with that same Christmas morning expectation to be ready for good works, right? When you're ready for good works, then you're more open to seeing opportunities. You're more attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Right, We're not as oblivious, and then when we miss it, we're, we, we really hear it. We're like, dang, you told me to do that. You told me to say that. I should have done it, okay? And God is so sweet and kind that he will give you, just like the tides that come in, he'll give you another chance and another chance and another chance to get up and be ready for good works. And then he says, speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling quarreling does everybody know what quarreling is give you a real life example okay guilty of this 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 hits home um i was arguing on facebook of all places with (laughs) i was arguing on facebook a couple weeks ago um, about the memphis grizzlies and the golden state warriors this has nothing to do with eternity i'm arguing with this person on facebook so then I'm telling my wife that I'm arguing with this person, and she's arguing with me about arguing with people on Facebook, and ends up doing 49 miles an hour in the 30 and gets us pulled over, right? But it's my fault because I shouldn't have been quarreling with somebody on Facebook about basketball games, right? But when we get pulled over, I tell the kids, don't worry. Mom's probably going to prison for this, and uh, they'll send you to foster care, but that's okay, because I am a certified foster parent, so I'll be able to get you back out. <laughs> and when the officer, sweet, kind officer, Smyrna Police Department officer came to the window, he's was like, ma'am, why were you going so fast? She said, I was arguing with my husband about arguing with people on Facebook. He said, fair enough, okay, all right, well, let me see all of your stuff. And God gave us grace, and we didn't get the ticket, but um, avoid quarreling with people, man. It's so dumb. The, the, the Grizzlies lost. It don't matter. It was a losing argument to begin with. Okay. And sometimes we go into things knowing we're going to lose, but we want to do it anyway. We want to do it anyway. Then he says, be gentle. And what that says to me is, assume the best in people. Stop thinking everybody's a suspect or everybody's out to get. What if we saw people the same way Jesus sees us? What if we assume the best in people? What if, we, what if we believed in someone the same way we need people to believe in us from time to time? Then he says, show courtesy to everybody. There are studies that have shown that being kind actually makes you want to be kinder more often. It creates neural pathways in your brain. When you see an act of kindness, it, it makes you want to be kind. There are actual scientific studies that show that it does something. It transforms your brain when you put others ahead of yourself. Isn't it wild that God has wired the spiritual and the physical in such a tremendous way that acts of kindness following what God says in the word can actually change and revolutionize your life? Isn't it wild that it can literally do that? Am I on the right page? Make sure. Let me make sure I'm on the right page. Yeah, I'm on the right page. Okay, I got notes. I got notes. Then Paul reminds Titus, and then I love this. After he gives him the, the he reminds people, reminds him to remind people of who they are. Then, then Paul goes into that second part of that verse, and he reminds Titus of how they both used to be BC. Now, why does he do that? I don't think Paul goes back and says, now remember, you used to be like this. You used to be greedy, and you used to call people out, and you used to cuss people on Facebook, and you used to do this and that, right? He doesn't do it to put him down. He reminds him to have perspective, perspective in dealing with people. Remember, they're on the Isle of Crete. Right? They are dealing with Cretans, okay? Which are the worst of the worst. We're not going to say what city they remind us of. Okay? We've already been there. And that provokes quarreling. (laughs) But it gives Titus it gives Titus perspective. He says, Hey man, remember how you used to act. Remember how you used to think. Remember how you used to be. There's a quote by Stephen. Um, Stephen Covey that says, we judge ourselves by our intentions, and we judge others by their behavior. We like to judge everybody else by the one thing they've done or something they've said, but we hold ourselves to the standard, well, I know my heart, and I know my intentions are good. The road to hell is paved in good intentions. Don't know where that came from, but it is. I and you can see that play out in Scripture if you don't believe me. In that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. This is Jesus saying, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And in, in biblical writing, when you repeat a phrase twice, it's to, to, uh, to add emotion or inflection or passion. Absalom, oh, Absalom. When he says, Lord, Lord, it's saying, God, we love you. Lord, Lord, look at all these things we did for you. We cast out demons, we laid hands on people. We showed up on the Friday night bunco with the ladies. We did all the things you asked us to do. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Not that I knew you and you fell away. Not that you you came and you were excited. And then you and then you went, he said, I never knew you. I never knew you. And they said, but our intentions were good. We had good intentions, it didn't matter, because they didn't have a relationship with him. They didn't know him, and he didn't know them. The Bible tells us to reverse that of judging ourselves by the way we act and judging others by their intentions. Look at Matthew seven. Let's look at Matthew seven, verse one through four. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? So what what does this really mean? It can't mean don't judge people because the Bible tells us we're supposed to assess you'll know a tree by its fruit. It's not what it's saying, like, like don't judge. But what it does say is this helps us with our perspective. Jesus is saying, hey, remember, the way you're judging people is gonna be judged back on you. So look at people through the lens of grace. Look at people through the lens of mercy. Tr- start to try to see people the way I see people and remember, we are all in process, we are all in process. Some of us are in different points of this progressive sanctification, but we are all in process. When we, when we accepted Christ, when we submitted our life to him and said, God, God, I love you. I submit to you. I'm a sinner. I need your grace in our life. We were positionally sanctified, okay? That means I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I, my position is secure, but then I begin this journey of progressive sanctification. Sanctification, this progressive day-by-day day, walking it out, laying my life as an offering before God. Now, this doesn't mean that I, I get better and better and better, although that's sometimes a result. It just means I, I'm, I'm learning more about myself, who I am in him. It means when, when, I, when I say the wrong thing, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, and I'm, and I'm repenting, and I'm repenting, and repenting, and repenting. I'm changing the way that I think. This is a daily walk, a progressive walk. And when I understand that you're in a walk too, then I'm able to extend that grace that Pastor Barbie's been talking about. I can understand it. Wow, Doug, that was kind of hardcore for you to say that to me. Is there truth to it? Is he calling me up? Or is this an opportunity to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm working on it too and a chance for him to grow. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? We gotta remember this is one complete letter. This is a complete letter that Paul has previously laid out, and he's laid out the roles of leader. Remember over in chapter one in verse nine, what he says is, he says um, that one of the responsibilities of the leaders was to provide sound teaching to encourage the body and correct when needed. To provide sound teaching, encourage the body, and correct when needed. So if I know that, if Paul says that first, and then he tells me to use perspective, and I look at the gospel of Matthew, and I see this this passage about judging people with the right perspective, and understanding everybody's in process, then how do I apply that to Matthew 7? When we quote this verse, judge not lest you be judged, this is what it usually means, get off my back. Get off my back. Only God can judge me. Anybody ever heard that? Right? Young people like to get tattoos right here. Like, not even facing them, it's facing you, right? The words are out. So it's like only God can judge me, right? Back off. Get off my back. But that's not what that means. But how would I know? How would I know? Because all I've heard is only God can judge me. And then this verse quoted, how would I know what it means? How would I know what it means without someone providing sound teaching or without an appropriate understanding of the word myself? If you're just relying on Justin Bashir's to give you the words and you have got snippets and morsels and bite-sized pieces and you are trying to live a 2,000-calorie daily diet off of a 30-minute morsel that I'm going to give you on Sunday morning. How would you know? How would you know what I'm getting up here and saying is sound teaching? How would you know? How would you know? we, We are so fortunate to have the Codex. We have all the books. We have all the books. There were generations that went before us that didn't have all the books. The Cretans didn't have the Codex. They had to look for examples, elders walking this out that understood the scriptures and then applied it to their life. We have the Codex, but how would you know? I was at uh, visiting somebody's house, not gonna tell you whose house, okay? And had to use the restroom, and they had this little bathroom calendar thing, and it was like a verse of the day type, you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess, it seems impractical because you have to rip a piece off and throw it in the thing, but whatever, right? So it's the verse of the day, and it's flipped over, and I'm reading the verse, and it says, if you will bow down and worship me, all that you see will be yours, And I'm like, do they know who said that? (laughs) Satan. (laughs) Satan said that. This was the devil talking to Jesus when he was in the temptation in the wilderness. If you will bow down and worship me, all that you have will be yours. How would you know? It sounds so good, right? Doesn't that sound good? If you will just bow and worship me. All that you have, all that you see will be yours. That is the devil on the little China. I guess what? It wasn't even the right day. I flipped it. They're a day ahead. For the rest of the year, I was like, they don't need that. They do not need that, right? Because they're going to be believing it. God, I'm here. I'm worshiping you all. I need it all, right? But how would you know? But how would you know? How would you know if you don't know the word? If you're just relying on that morsel? Right? Here's another one. God won't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that one? Some of us have said that. Right? And I understand. Here's what I understand. I understand the heart behind that. It's meant to be an encouragement. But if, if God won't give me more than I can handle, then by default, I can, handle, I can handle everything that comes my way. And the truth is, I cannot. And the truth is, you cannot. There are so many biblical examples. Paul says, look, we were shipwrecked and we thought we was gonna die. We could not handle it. There are so many verses time and time again where you see people despaired to the end of their life. God has obviously given them more than they can handle. But how would you know? How, how would we know? I mean, we look around. We can look around in our society and in our world and we see so many so many Cretans in the world, right? Uh, if you have a TikTok account, you can find some Cretans pretty easily. I've requested people stop sending me TikTok videos. I'm not on TikTok because it'll be the first video they'll send me will be a woodworking video. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then the next video is a, is a dadgum Cretan doing something that they should only be doing in Cretan. I'm like, how are these two related? They're not related. It's not the same thing. I want to see people building cool stuff. Right? But there there are so many voices shouting at us. We've never been under such a barrage of information. Never been such a barrage of information. I was thinking about last night. um, I was watching a show, and the lady was trying to sell encyclopedias. And I remember someone coming to my mom and dad's house and being like, ma'am, You've got to have 32 volumes of these Britannica. Do you want to start with A through Z or do you want to cut it up, break it up? Anybody else on Encyclopedia Britannicas? A few of you guys got suckered into that, right? Right? Because as soon as you buy it, it's no longer applicable, right? It's like ancient history, right? You're looking up stuff for term papers and everything, right? And now you want to know anything. Me and my wife are are laying in bed the other night, and we're trying to think of the name of this show, the name of The Big Bang Theory, and we're going crazy. We're like, what is the show? What is the show? And she's like, look it up. And I'm forcing myself. I'm like, no, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to use my brain to think of it. And after about five minutes of that, she said, I can't take it, and reached over and grabbed her phone and looked it up and said, oh, The Big Bang Theory. And we both went, Ah. Right, we're inundated with information, right? And most of it is not just, here's the information, do with it what you will, it's here's the information and here's how you need to think about it. Here's the information and here's how you're supposed to feel about it. Here's the information and here's how you're supposed to respond to it. We're not just given information anymore. There's so many models of behavior There are people that live morally right lives that were raised properly, that have no acknowledgement of God in their life, but live good, decent lives. They pay taxes, they go to work on time, they don't argue on Facebook with people. That you know of, they go to the messengers and argue with people. (laughs) That's your, that's your out, right? He wasn't listed. Wasn't listed. There's your out. So if there's all this information, right? So I'm inundated with information. It's at my fingertips. There's, there's examples of what I, I think I'm supposed to do, what, what it's supposed to look like. What does a church look like? What, is, what does being a Christian look like? I've got all of these things at, coming at me. And then you've got so many tragedies in the news. Pastor Ronnie was mentioning this. It was another hard week, Uvalde and Buffalo and Ukraine, and, and do you realize that there was 107,000 overdose deaths last year? 107,000 people overdosed in America last year. There's food shortages. There's formula shortages. There's, there's, there's COVID in the news everywhere you look, and we're not getting any solutions to it. We're just blaming each other for the problems. But what it is, is it's not your fault or my fault, it's our fault. And here's why, because we do not know the God of the Bible, we know about him. We don't know the God of the Bible, we know about him. Our society has made us all gods. God of self, what I want, when I want it, how I feel about whatever it is, it's my view which is supreme. My view. And if you don't agree with me, I'll unfriend you. That's what the argument was about on Facebook. I didn't agree with the person because I like the Grizzlies and they like the Warriors. And guess what? We're no longer friends on Facebook now, which I know is not a, a big deal, but it is a big deal because we're both people. We're both in process. We just have different viewpoints. Do you realize you don't need a bunch of people to tell you yes all the time? You need somebody to say, no, no. Pastor Kevin has recently quoted Pastor Ronnie in saying that God isn't going to save the world. He's going to destroy it. I know I kind of jumbled that up, but that's the concept. And that's the truth. Right, First John 2 and 16 tells us all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father but of this world, and the world is passing away and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This is literally out of the Bible. This is true. God is going to destroy this world, but usually what, when I hear that, I've got two options, I can quit and say the heck with it, right? It's going to be destroyed anyway. What does it matter? He's already got it figured out. Why do I have to act right? Why do I have to live right? Why can't I do what I want to do? It's going to be destroyed anyway, so what does it matter? Or I can press in and love big. You can keep one foot in this world and an eye on eternity. You know, I'm, I do cosplay knowing the world's going to come to an end. I'm dressing up like superheroes. And I've also got some food stashed in my basement for when the power goes out, okay? Like, I know this is not my home, I know this is not my home. And when you have that understanding deep down inside you, it allows you to see people the way they are in process, to know God loves them the same way he loved you, use a proper perspective, and love on people in practical ways. In practical ways. Buy somebody a sausage biscuit out there without telling them Jesus loves them. That shows them Jesus loves them. So where do I go to find answers? Where do I go? There's no answer within myself. Like, you can't, you can't look in here for the answers. And most of the time, that's what we do. Sin forces us inward. Sin forces us inward, to look inward. But there's no answer within myself. There's a, a famous writer, his name was Alexander Pope, and he wrote, Know then thyself, presume not God to scan the proper study of mankind is man. The proper study of mankind is man. And Charles Spurgeon's response to this says, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. For philosophy comes to man with the message, know thyself. The gospel meets him with a far more glorious and fruitful watchword, know thy God. You can, see, you can see what people are like and what Christians are like, not by looking at people and Christians, but by understanding God and his character and his nature because we are created in the image of God. We must know God personally. That's what all this is about, a personal relationship with the Lord I can model it for you but it will not carry you. I can challenge you but it will not sustain you and it will not see you through. The answer is Jesus and walking with him. Titus his response was I mean Paul's the Paul's response to Titus was hey th- people need to act right they need to live like this but the reason why is because not because of our works of righteousness. Remember we read that he said He didn't save us because we started acting right. He saved us, and then we started acting right. And when we don't act right, he's like, you need to act right. Why? Because we've been changed from the inside out. There is an order of operations. If you start outside and trying to change the things you do. Anybody that struggles with any type of behavioral problem, right? Stopping the behavior is not the solution, It's never the solution, because that's not the order of operations. The order of operations is, let's find out what's going on inside, what keeps drawing you to this. Why do you keep going back to that thing? Let's address the root, let's kill that, and then the processes will stop. God addresses the inside of the man, and then the outward begins to follow and line up in a daily walk, and it is a daily thing. If it was just about that positional sanctification, then the moment you gave your life to Christ, he'd be like, Darren, come on down. You're the next contestant to go to heaven. But he didn't, right? Darren got saved and Darren's like, I still want to argue on Facebook. I still want to, I don't know why it's to go to today. Let's just, let's just run with it, right? That'll be our watchword for sin, okay? But think about it. He didn't take you. He didn't. We're still here in a dying world full of sin and cretins and selfish people that I used to be like. And now all of a sudden, I've given my heart and life to Jesus, and I'm I'm supposed to walk into that? He said, yeah, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm giving you my word. It's a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, right? When you're walking at night with flashlights and lamps, right, you don't see the whole path illuminated, but you can see where you're going. You can see where you're going. And I love that image of a light to my path, which means you're not supposed to look back to what's behind you because when you turn around, you can't see what's there. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Keep growing. Keep changing. Keep growing. Keep changing. And I know it's important to him because I'm still here. But then verse 8, look at what he says in verse 8. He says... This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. That's how we respond. Then he gives them some final instructions, right? He goes on to say in verse 9, avoid arguing about things that don't matter. Things that don't matter. He was talking specifically about arguing with, um, with Jews about the law But it was a moot point because Jesus had come. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And in that fulfillment, it didn't matter. They didn't have to focus on adhering to laws. Why? Because the gospel was changing them, and then they just started acting right. They started following the laws. They didn't have to follow all the sacrifices and things because Christ was that sacrifice. But what it boils down to for us is don't argue about stuff that don't matter, And that's different than quarreling. Arguing with people about about, because they raise their hands and you don't think we're supposed to raise our hands. Or or we do hymns and y'all do progressive songs. How many people in here believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Show hands. That's it. Shut up. We're done. (laughs) Right? If you think your pastor should wear a three-piece suit on Sunday, believe that. But don't argue if I come out here and jeans, and a t-shirt, okay? But we argue about things like that on and off of Facebook. And Paul's telling them, don't, it's a moot point. The gospel has changed us from the inside. What we do now is determined by who we are. But then I love this. He closes out the book in 12 through 15. He says, "Uh, I'm sending you some people to help you out. I'm sending you some people to help you out. He said, When I send Artemis or Tycheus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. I want you to think about this for a second. Titus began the mission by himself. Remember, right, they're on a missionary journey. They had previously come to Crete. There's pockets of believers, but there's not a church. And this is what we're talking about, a healthy church, right? And Paul's left Titus there, and Titus is solo, by himself, and he's expected to, he's expected to um, raise up leaders and elders in the church, Right? There's no way that he can rightfully determine who the leaders are and if they're genuine unless he builds relationships with them. How would you know that I am what I say I am if, if you're not in a relationship with me? I, I, I've said it, look, I don't have the bandwidth to be in close personal relationship with everybody here. Right, But how would you know if somebody is who they say they are? How would people know you're who you say you are in Christ if you're not in relationship with anybody? Imagine, we don't have a church, and I come to you, you don't have a clue who I am. I'm like, hey, man, you're a good leader. You're going to be an elder in the church now. You're like, I don't know this dude. Who's this dude? Coming up to me with his pants rolled up, talking about elder. Right? But if I come and spend time with you, have a relationship with you, pull you to the side and say, hey man, you're exhibiting some real leadership qualities. I want you to consider being an elder as we're creating something here. It holds a little bit more weight when you're in a relationship with somebody as opposed to a total stranger, am I right? Yeah. The guy at Kroger says something to you. It's a little bit different than Pastor Kevin says something to you. You start to build a relationship with him. You start to build relationships with people. Titus has to get connected to them. But then I love Paul also sends some other brothers in the faith to encourage him and help him. And then Paul tells Titus, look, please come see me. Please, I need you to come see me when you're done there. Right? What does it all got in common? Community. Community. He's building a community. One of the most important aspects of a healthy church is community. Together. There has to be connection within the church. How in the world am I going to make it? If I walk up that ramp, begrudgingly, in those back doors, I come in, I sit down, I get my little morsel, then I get up and walk out. How can I make it? I have no connection. I have no relationship, no community. Some of us need to be invited, okay? And for you that need to be invited, this is a personal invite from me. We're all gonna meet at Pastor Kevin's house in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Pool party. Look, we'll provide all the food. Don't worry about nothing, okay? Just come, come, and start building relationships. I'm kidding. That's not gonna happen. We're all gonna go to James Jansen's house (laughs) in two weeks. It's a personal invite. And we all got reasons why we don't connect, right? How many people have been hurt? I've been hurt. I've been hurt. I don't want to press I've been hurt. Guess what? I've had a piece of bad watermelon before, but I know watermelon is good and tasty. And so I'm not going to, I mean, if you've ever been and got Walmart's watermelon, it's a little bit different than Publix's watermelon. It ain't got nothing to do with the price point. Got to do with the fruit itself, okay? It is. Go try me today. Object lesson. Right, a little experiment, try that out. We'll do it in the parking lot. Well, actually, we'll do it in two weeks at James's house. (laughs) I've been hurt by people. Matter of fact, I've hurt people, I probably hurt people in this room, and I guarantee it's been with this. Right, and I know my heart, I didn't intend to hurt people, I didn't, I've not intended to hurt anybody's feelings, I've not intended to be dismissive of anyone or to make you feel like that that you're not important, and it happens. And just because my intention is not there does not negate the fact that hurt is real and people get hurt. But no matter what church you go to, they're gonna have issues because there's people there and we are all in process. And when my perspective begins to change, I begin to get a press box view of the field and the situation and I understand that God is working in your life the same way he's working in my life and we can find common ground with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we can begin to build real authentic community with one another. I don't have enough room at my table for everybody, but somebody in this room's got room at their table for you, and you've got room at your table for someone else. I was talking to somebody, a couple out here in the, um, in the foyer before service, and she said, I'm kind of bummed that we're not doing anything midweek on Thursdays. And I said, but the cool part is now we've got a space to open up because we've dedicated that time to the Lord. Now you and my wife can get together and plan for when y'all are coming over to my house for dinner because we've got this space available. And she said, I would love that. I, I would love that too. <laughs> right? We've created capacity. <laughs> we've created capacity. We've talked about that. This year, we've made room for God to move in our hearts and in our lives. We've opened up our calendars, and now as a church, we're literally opening up your calendar for a day that you've already consecrated. Yeah, I'm not telling you you have to have dinner with people, but I'm telling you, you have to be intentional about relationships, and that may be the relationships in your own house. There may be people inside your four walls you hadn't connected with, and Thursday is now game night or Whatever. Or we can all do game night at James's house. <laughs> and I'm bringing the watermelon because I know where to get it. <laughs> Springhouse has so many ways to get connected. So many ways. Are oh, You want to come to men's ministry? Come on. We just had a wiffle ball home run derby yesterday. Yep. There was, oh, see, there's a few over there. There's a few there. And there's several guys that are like, you know what, wiffle ball is not my thing. But guess what, brisket tacos and heckling one another might be your thing, <laughs> right? There were, there, were, there were at least 10 guys that came, did not even go near the, the wiffle bat, did not even go near the wiffle bat, and told me today, man, I had such a good time. Just connecting, just being there with people. And it was ministry. Nobody, we, we prayed for the day, but nobody was over there talking about, hey man, here's what you need to do in your life. Here's how you change. But guess what? There were brothers that came to other brothers and said, hey man, pray for me about this. And other brothers said something about a testimony. Worship team, would you come on out? Would you come on out, worship team? <laughs> it's like the Grammys, right? When they start, I still got 10 minutes, man. Y'all look, They start the music, and then they're like, you're done. You are done. If it didn't get said, you're not saying it. There are so many ways to connect with the body. So many ways to connect. The book of Titus gives us tremendous insight to what a healthy church looks like. He lays out the qualifications for elders, for leadership, He hammers home the importance of generational grace and connections between us. He reminds Titus again and again of the importance of community and personal connection to the Lord. You wanna know what a healthy church looks like? It's a, a bunch of unique individuals in process who have a personal relationship with Christ in the context of other people. So what's holding you back? What's, what's holding you back from connecting with the people that God has put in front of you or beside you or behind you? What is holding you back from saying, Brother, I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody further down the line. And I know that there's somebody behind me looking at my life. What's it going to take? What's holding us back? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship together. If you need prayer, there'll be some elders that'll come down and pray with you. But if you don't, then let's worship together as a family and let that question resonate in your spirit. What's holding me back? What's holding me back? And if you're already in community, what's holding me back? If you're not in community, what's holding me back? Let's pray and then worship. Father, I thank you that you have shown us. You've given us criteria for a healthy church that we continually fall short with, God. We cannot measure up to the standard that you, that you have. And so you fulfilled the standard yourself with Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. And because of that, we are empowered, we are indwelled by the Holy Ghost. And we understand that we're in process Thank you for walking with us day by day. Thank you for taking us by the hand. Thank you for leading us. Give us courage to take the next step. Give us courage to extend an invitation. Give us courage to speak out in front of people, God. This is your idea. Help us to walk it out, God. And we're careful to give you all the glory, to give you all the praise, and to give you all the honor. Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship.